There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our show on a Friday afternoon. Baruchim Aboyim to all of our listeners. Thanks so much for taking the time and making yourself available to put your radio on rather than any other of the other opportunities one has to be listening to or watching or doing something else. And thank you for choosing Chai FM as your medium of choice. And it's such a big pleasure and honor to be on your radio again on a beautiful Erev Shabbos here in Johannesburg, Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Vo'era. We are well into the story of Yitzhiya Smitchayim and everything that's going on. So let's talk for a moment about frogs. What a wonderful subject to talk about. So we know that the Torah gives us an account of seven out of the ten markers of the plagues that Hashem brought about on the Egyptians are described in this week's Parsha. And when the Torah tells us the details of the second plague, the plague of Makas Tzfardim. So the plague is this, is described as follows in the Torah. Torah says, V'sharat Tzfardim, the Nile River will spark forth with frogs, V'olu they'll come into your house, they'll come into your bedroom, they'll come into your bed even, and Ubeis Avadecha will come into your servant's house. Uba Amecha amongst your people. Uve Sanurecha v'Mishalasecha will come into your ovens. Will come into your mixing bowls. And then it carries on. Uvecha Uva Amcha v'Chalavadecha. In you and your servants and your whole nation, the the frogs will come. So it mentions two separate absukim. Uh, Rashi comments on the on the words Bebeisecha will come into your house. And only afterwards into your servant's house. Why? Who his skill? Since it was Paro's idea to start torturing and, and enslaving the Jews. And he says to the, to his people, So the punishment also began from from uh, uh, from Paro himself. Rashi's comment is based on a Gemara, a Gemara in Saita, Dafir Aleph, which it's which says the Tana learn the Brisa who his skill, the He began with his plan. Therefore, he's punished first. Who his skill, the How do we know? And, and therefore, therefore, he gets punished. He brings, uh, the Gemara brings the second posuk as, as a source. And that's, that's quite noteworthy to, to note that when Rashi quoted the Joshua Chazal, so he didn't learn it from the same posuk that the Gemara used to derive that Paro was the first one to be punished. Rather, he brought the Pasuk before that Pasuk. 
he brought the pasuk of Olu bebeisecha v'uchad amishkovcha v'amitosecha. And in fact, the the Maharsha in in the Gemara there in uh, in uh, Saita is actually bothered by by his Rashi, this Rashi, and he explains that the Gemara didn't use the first pasuk which says Ubo bebeisecha and then ubebeisavadecha uveyamecha. Right, they'll first come to your house and then in, and then into the houses of your servants because Paro was listed first because he was the most important. This doesn't really explain to us that because he was, because it was his idea, uh, he says the Gemara doesn't want to bring that puzzle because that puzzle just mentions Pharaoh first because he was the most important. And it doesn't necessarily in fact indicate that he was the first to be punished. Rather, the Gemara brings the proof from the fact that in the second pasuk, basically repeats the same information that was already mentioned in the first of Bukhar, it's going to spread in you and your people and all your servants. So therefore, that, that seems to be where, where the Gemara picks it up. And it's, it's, uh, it seems interesting that Rashi would have picked a, uh, a, 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 a different pasuk than the Gemara that he's actually Quoting, uh, 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 and there's no known source in Chazal which which quotes it the way Rashi does. So we have to say that perhaps Rashi had something in mind that perhaps, in, in addition to what to what the Gemara is saying. Besides that, there are a couple of fundamental questions about the whole maka of of frog of frogs. First of all, once Para was already warned that the frogs would go even into his bedroom. Why was he also necessary to warn him that the, 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 to, to almost to specifically warn him that not only would they come into his bedroom, they actually would come into his, into his bed. What, what extra idea, what is, is, is expressed by that extra phrase that they actually would come even into his, into his room? And, and of course, lastly, this is quite a simple but almost a fundamental question. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu choose, in fact, the frog to carry out this plague? I mean, the Baruch Shem HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a, no shortage of, a, of a representatives in the animal kingdom. Why Dafka the frog? So perhaps if we delve into what Chazal say about the frog and what it's, what it's very essences so we can begin to understand firstly their role in the plague and then perhaps answer the questions that we that we began with the major shnyalkachmani analyzes the etymology of the word sephardea says it's a it's an acronym for the word sipor sheyesh loidea it's a bird that has intelligence obviously we cannot ascribe to Frogs, kind of uh, human intelligence, sort of, and you know, compared to human beings, of course, they don't have an intelligence. But from Chazal's almost enigmatic statement, we can deduce that there is a certain aspect of understanding that frogs have that we need to take notice of and perhaps even appreciate. The the Zayra Kaddish tells us a fascinating anecdote that reveals to us an important aspect of, of the power of understanding the, the, the frog that the that frogs have. The Zayah tells us that Dovin Melech, 
was once walking next to a river, and he said, Is there anyone in the world who praises his master as I do? So he then encountered a frog who told him, David, don't be so haughty, for I do more than even you do. I turned myself over to be killed for Hashem's will. As it says, the Sharat Hayyar suffered them. The Nile swarmed with frogs. And even additionally, says, I praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu day and night without stopping. And for every praise that I say, I add to it 3,000 Mishalim, 3,000 parables. David Melch accepted the Musad rebuke of the frog and actually composed the words of Tehillim in Tapetal Kuflamar Aleph, Hashem, Hashem, my heart was not haughty, nor did I uplift my eyes. And there's another Medrash that uh, is actually brought in the introduction to Perak Shira, which also discusses this encounter between David and Melech and the frog. And it says that the frog tells David, don't be haughty, because I am involved in a great mitzvah, which you are not. And what is that? There's a certain creature that lives on the shore of, of lakes whose only sustenance is from eating other aquatic life. When he's hungry, he takes me and eats me. This is my mitzvah. As it says in, in Mishle, Imrav Sainecha, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, feed him bread. So from both of these kind of versions of, of the same meeting between David Melch and the frog, it becomes clear that in its very teva, in its very nature, the frog has a deep understanding of the value of giving to others, which translates into ability to give of itself for others to the extent that it would even be prepared to moist and nefesh. It's willing to give its own laugh to fulfill the will of others, whether it be to fulfill Hashem's will, that there be, let's say, a plague, or to even sustain this uh, this uh, predator, right, which is which is hungry. So with this information, we can appreciate the depth of what it says in Parik Shira. What is the song that the frog sings to Hashem? So it says it's contained in the words, Baruch Shem Kavayid Malchusay Praise be the name of Hashem's kingdom for, forever. So the words of the Shira that each different species sings reveals the very essence of, of that particular species. And if that's so, so it's quite fitting that the frogs who are mamish able and willing to give their lives for others should sing Baruch Shein Kavah which is the ultimate expression of one's desire to live their life in order to fulfill the will of Hashem and, and glorify His name. According to this, now we can come back to understand that the frogs, which is the, the epitome of, of self-sacrifice, were sent to punish Paro, as he was the embodiment of egocentricity, of someone who was, 
who saw other people as as nothing but but like tools to fulfill his will, as evident from the fact that when he had Taras, when he had leprosy, he slaughtered Jewish babies in order to bath in their in their blood in an attempt to 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 cure his skin disease, and from many other kind of horrific decrees that he made to to torture and 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 uh, and suppress the the Jewish nation, from the fact that the Torah specifically mentioned that the frogs would go into Paro's bedroom as well as even in his beds, we can understand an additional depth to this to this uh, to this lesson. You know. There are many kind of places where a person finds himself, each of which like offers varying kinds of or various levels of privacy for a person. Obviously, a person's home is more private than the street. The street is Rishus Harabim. Everyone is there. There's no privacy at all. A home is known as Rishus HaYachin. It's your, it's your private domain. But even within the house... So you have this sort of the public reception areas, your lounge, your dining room, where you receive guests, and then there's the other part of the house where you have you have the the more private areas, the bedroom areas where only invited people can can uh, can come, and of that, the most private place of all is a person's a person's bed. A person's bed is reserved solely for its owner. It's, it would be considered, I think, extremely impolite and inappropriate for a guest to come and, and sleep in, in his in his house bed. And the significance of the privacy in the bedroom can be seen from the fact that in, in the words of the Pasuk, the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the holiest place in the world, in, in one place is called Cheder Hamites, is the bedroom. It's a private place where of of of, uh, of HaKadosh Baruch And the frogs coming into Paro's most intimate space is is to show him that not only is he corrupt in a way where his actions are corrupt, where he does things that to the world seem horrible. He's completely, completely so full of himself, so full of his own desires to, to just pamper himself that he can't see beyond that. And it's Dafka the frog, which symbolizes the mysterious nefesh, the self-sacrifice that is sent specifically to come and uh, and and uh, and and punish. We'll come back and just wrap this up and then go on to halacha, our hilchas yontiv segment in a moment. This is one one point nine high FM on the greatest Jewish radio station in Africa. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. We'll come back to the show on this beautiful Friday afternoon, as we always do at this time, just to give you the important times you need to know as we go into another beautiful Shabbos. Shabbos candle lighting time this afternoon is still the standard Johannesburg summertime, quarter past six, the absolute latest time for lighting Shabbos candles this afternoon will be at quarter to seven, sunset being at three minutes past seven. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.37. It's already getting, getting earlier. 
this week, besides being Parashat Ba'era, is also Shabbos Mevorchim. Uh, Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be as Hashem be on Monday, and we're starting sort of going into Shvat. I won't even mention how many weeks it is till Pesach because it's completely irrelevant at this point and not even worth not even worth mentioning. But uh, it is Shabbos Avorchem, so many shuls have special programs, special brachas, special shirim. Get there and 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 be part of it. Just to sort of sum up what we've been talking about. So. Therefore, the the uh, the pasuk doesn't suffice with just mentioning that the frogs will come into Paro's bedroom. It's specified that the frogs, actually, which we said represent this mysterious nefesh, the self-sacrifice, would even go into his bed, his most kind of private domain, in order to emphasize that the root of Paro's evil lay in his thoughts. It showed that in important areas, you know, his psychological lives, they lived almost an evil, uh, a self-centeredness that allowed him to, to come up with all these cruel and, and, and terrible, uh, uh, decrees to, to control and subjugate the Jewish nation, ignoring the fact that they were in fact the ones that were the backbone and the, and the underpinnings of his entire uh, economy and that contributed significantly to to the greatness and and the prestige of uh, of the uh, of the kingdom and the fact that the frogs would invade paro's bed the place which really is where a place has you know there's no other noise there there's no that's where a person should really be able to clearly think and 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 plan and and decide what he's going to do emphasize that he was being punished for using his ability to reason, and he was using it inappropriately, instead of using his private thoughts to think of, like the frogs, ways to help other people, he had used them to plan ways to take advantage of an entire people and, and reduce them to, to slavery. And, and, and the concept for us is that we have to know that we have to fill our minds actively with Torah thoughts. And a person who's actively involved in mitzvahs, so he constantly fills his thoughts with calculations of how he's going to perform the mitzvahs, right? How is, how is he going to organize his day so he has time to, to get to minion, to, to learn, to, to learn some Torah. And when a person finds himself uh, in a state of, of kind of relaxation and his mind is free, so he's able to plan, he's able to decide how he's going to, how he's going to learn. And even more specific, uh, this is the Rambam, who suggests that a person should use his mind and fill it with Torah thoughts as a way of completely removing himself from any any kind of thoughts that are immoral. And he says that Chazal say that greater than all other things, the best solution for a person is if a person directs his thoughts to Divrei Torah and expands his knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu with a seeking for, for wisdom. So then there's no room in his mind for any kind of immoral thoughts. He doesn't have time, doesn't have space. There's no ram left in in his brain for any kind of immorality since he's completely full of of of, of Torah thoughts. And that's the that's the 
Besides the, the great schus of, of learning Torah, the tremendous protective power that it saves one from anything else is something we have to harness, we have to, we have to use and we have to use as a strategy in, in bettering, in bettering our own, our own lives. We, we are learning the laws of Yom Tov. We're up to, we just started, uh, 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 a little bit last week is to talk about the concept of Muktza on, on Yom Tov and how it is the same and in some ways slightly different than the laws of of, of Shabbos. So basically we know that Chazal forbade on Shabbos and Yontif carrying any things that cannot be used for permissible uh, activities on these on these days and therefore usually a person would set them aside in his mind that he's not going to use them during during this uh during this day. And we said that there are two reasons for it. Number one, to, to guard and protect the atmosphere of, uh, of, of these holy, of these holy days. These are days where a person should be resting and, and they're, they're set aside for days of, 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 of Kedusha, days of, 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 of Menucha. And even your, all of you, even your hands should, should rest from being involved, from carrying, from moving, from fiddling with things that are not connected. To Shabbos and Yantif. Because if you were allowed to carry everything, even those things that we don't need to use on those, on those holy days, so people would, uh, keep themselves busy the whole day and kind of, you know, rearrange their homes and fix things and, and, and repair things and get things back in, back in order and, you know, re- rearrange their offices and, and their, their store places, etc. And there would be nothing left. Of, uh, of of Shabbos, what would happen to the to the resting? What would happen to the menucha of Shabbos? So therefore, the issa of of Mukta creates a, a a a synchronization almost between the the actual halacha and the thought processes that a person is supposed to have on 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 Shabbos. Because anything that's not usable. On Shabbos, so then your hands should not be involved with it on, on Shabbos at all. The other reason, we'll keep you guessing for another minute, we're gonna to go to the shops, and we'll be back in a, in a moment. This is 101.9 High FM on the beautiful radio station of Yard. Don't run away yet. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, back on your radio again here in Johannesburg. We're talking about the reasons behind the prohibition of Muktza on Shabbos. We gave one reason. second reason is because Chazal wanted and needed to build fences around those things that are actually forbidden on Shabbos. Because if a person's going to be allowed to carry and move the things that you cannot use for the Shabbos Ayantav, so we have to worry that he might then come to do, to do malacha, right? You, Terry doesn't say anyway you can't pick up a pen, but, uh, since 300 days a year, one's so used to picking up a pen and beginning to, to write. Therefore, Chazal said, don't touch them at, uh, at, uh, at all. And, and leave them the whole, the whole, uh, the whole Shabbos. So, 
uh, or you might carry something that, that that you don't you don't need. And we already learned before that someone who carries something that doesn't is that's not necessary on Yom Tov. So that is a Torah prohibition. On Yom Tov, you only allowed to carry those things that are that are necessary on uh, on, uh, on on Shabbos. And the generally speaking, the the principles of the Malacha of Muktzah on Shabbos are basically the same as as on on Yantif. and and we've already gone through the laws of Muktzah on on Shabbos, and we're not going to therefore spend a great deal of of time on it. However, there are three significant differences between Shabbos and Yantif. One of them, uh, in ways in which Yontav is a little bit more lenient, and one in which Yontav is actually a bit, a bit stricter. The difference is the, the leniency of Yontav is that on Shabbos, there are certain food items that are muktza because you can't eat them. Right? Your, your flour, uh, a, a live uh, a chicken, live meat, uh, uh, raw potatoes are all things that since you can't cook on Yom Tov, you have no use for those things and therefore they're mukts. On Yom Tov, where I could, you know, I can cook the meat, I can, I can cook my, my, my raw potato, I can do mulacha necessary for food preparation. Those things aren't, uh, aren't mukts. There are, are, are dishes and utensils that on Shabbos are muktzah because you use them to do mulacha, which is part of food preparation, right? Your, your, your stoves, your, your pots are muktzah on Shabbos. But on, uh, on, on Yom Tiv, where you're allowed to cook, so obviously pots and those things are not, are not muktzah, right? Uh, 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 any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, electrical appliance that has a, a filament, so those things can't be used on on Shabbos. They're considered muktzah uh, because that is a considered to be a a fire, and and you can't light a fire. But on Yontiv, where you're allowed to transfer fire, so those kind of uh, uh, implements are not in fact a muktzah. The second leniency of Yontif is that you're allowed to carry on Yontif all those kinds of that things that might be muktzah if you need them for food. Let's say for uh, for ex- example, um, right? Uh, uh, something uh, falls into 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 the oven on on uh, on Yontif, so you're allowed to remove it because I need. To use that oven for for baking or, or or something like that, so I can I could uh, I could remove something that would stop me from using it or or uh, or would burn the food that's that's the that's in it. Or let's say there were uh, you had some stones mixed in with your with your fruit. So again, even though the stones are muktzah, so on Shabbos you wouldn't be able to take them away in order to take the let's say the fruits underneath it right you could move you could move it aside maybe with your maybe with your foot or something but on yontif so in the same way that you're allowed to do malacha 
for the purpose of food preparation. So they also allowed you to remove these muktza stones from amongst the, the fruit or on top of the fruit so that I'll be able to eat the fruit on, uh, on, uh, on, on, on Yom Tov. Right? Let's say, uh, uh, the, the key of your, of your food pantry was, uh, in your, you left it in your, in your purse. So on Shabbos you can't take it out because the, the purse itself is, is muktza. But on Yom Tov you'd be allowed to open the purse, take out the key because you, uh, 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 then moving the purse is now something that you need for the needs of food preparation on uh, on uh, on Yant. And obviously, if it would be convenient and easy to be able to uh, uh, get the key from somewhere else without opening the, the the purse, so then obviously one should do that and not and not and not uh, and not open, right? But that's again only. Uh, where one needs to move the muktz in order to be able to directly uh, prepare things for 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 Shabbos, but you wouldn't be able to eat or to use things that they themselves are are uh, muktz. Let's say a fruit that a goy harvested on on Yontif itself that we already said, or or you wouldn't be able to eat or fish or or that was uh, caught. On, on, even on Yontif, that you wouldn't be to eat, because those, since you didn't have any uh, uh, thought on them when Yontif started, they're completely removed from, from, from your mind. Okay, that kind of brings us again to the end of our, our time. We will, Be'ez Hashem, carry on our discussion in coming, in coming shows. It's great being with you. Great to have the opportunity to share a bit of Torah. And it's just left to thank you all. For joining us on the radio, it's such a such an amazing, amazing zchus uh, to be able to share time with you. And just want to wish each and every one of you an amazing, amazing Shabbos. As I said, Shabbos of Orchim. Make it count, make it special. Put in a special in your Rosh Chodesh mentioning. Have all of us all in mind. We all need we all need the blessings. And please God, we should be zechut to a month full of bracha, full of hatzlacha, full of simcha, full of gazunt and parnasa. And to each and every one of you in our radio family. A good and good to Shabbos.